Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing? Yeah, good, good. Well, my name is Max Brockmeyer, uh, as he said. Uh, I apologize. My wife couldn't make it. She's not feeling too well this morning, but she's back home. We live actually in Worcester, or north of Worcester. Uh, and you know, it's funny. Everybody says, when I say Worcester, then they're like, Worcester. I'm like, I'm not originally from here. I'm from south of here. I made the cut. I'm a northeasterner. So like I grew up literally four miles north of the Mason-Dixon line. So I, I kind of count, you know. But my wife is the true New Englander. She's from out in that area. But uh, it's glad, it's great to be here. I actually, Haverhill holds a special place in my heart uh, because I went to Zion Bible College, or now North Point. Um, and so I met my wife there and just so many memories here. It was, it was awesome. Uh, actually the first, so I grew up in a central Pennsylvania, like I said, on the Mason Dixon line. And I grew up in a small town of like, I don't know, 3000 people at the time. And so it was a very tiny town. And when I moved up here, I'll be honest, like my first experience of New England, I, I think I may have mentioned this before, but my first experience of New England, I hated it. The one was because first my my class I had my first class was intro to biblical studies and my professor was from Rhode Island and I'm this country boy and so when he's sharing like he's we're learning Greek and Hebrew I had no idea what where I was learning let alone his accent. He had to me it was a thick Rhode Island accent. You probably know who he is actually. Yeah, exactly. So I just, I, th- I find it funny, and I, I love him. He's great. Pro- uh, Brother Richie from over at the North Point, great guy. But so my first day, I go to class, I experience that, and I'm like, oh, man, this is crazy. I get out onto the main road there, and I'm sitting there for like 20 minutes trying to get out onto the road because no one's letting me in. And little did I know that I had to make myself get out there and not wait for other people to let me, you know. Well, I'm a small country kid, so that wasn't going to happen. At least I had to learn. So I love New England. I really do. I'm a Pats fan um, and Boston Red Sox, all that stuff. I know it has nothing to do with this, but I just said I, I fell in love with New England after when I first like experienced it. It was just crazy. So I, it's good to be here. Um, my wife and I, she normally does this part, but um, sh- so we were missionaries in Belgium for two years. So what we did is we assisted another missionary couple in planning a church. And basically, we were in the heart of Antwerp, Belgium. So for those that may or may not have diamonds on actually right now, your diamond, I can almost guarantee that that diamond has been through Antwerp, Belgium, uh, mainly because all the diamonds that are excavated through the entire world get directed to Antwerp for whatever reason and then just redistributed out to the world and so it was a diamond capital uh they're also known for fashion things like that but it's also a very dark city um Antwerp Belgium uh, is home to 11 million people and less than one percent claim to have a personal relationship with Christ that's about roughly a hundred thousand people about less than a hundred thousand people so it's a very dark area and uh, we actually transformed this adult shop into which was like a block down the street from the red light district and transformed it into a church and uh, although and the you know the unique thing is we were there for two years and this is how hard or how difficult Europe can really be uh, and how dark it is spiritually speaking Uh, We were there for two years, and it seemed like no one was coming to Christ. We didn't see anybody getting saved. No one was getting baptized. Definitely not in the Holy Spirit, you know. And so this whole time that we're there, we're thinking to ourselves, well, but God, what's going on? What are you doing? Like, I feel like we feel like we're wasting our time. And the Lord really had to check our hearts and say, look, it's not about you. I obviously have brought you over here to use you as a tool or as an instrument, 
um, and whatnot. But it's ultimately about what God can do. And that speaks for all of us in our lives. You know, a lot of times we may be sitting in our workplaces or in our schools and thinking to ourselves, God, why did you place me in this situation? And it seems like it's just nothing. I can't get through to people or just, you know, it's just all these things. And God's like, you know, let it's not about you. It's about me. And so now, even though we've been back, we were. I had to realize that we were just there to help get it started. You know, plant that seeds in a lot of people's hearts. And so um, now I looked on Facebook this morning. They're six hours ahead of us. Uh, and now they are, I mean maxed out at like 45 people on a Sunday morning. Like that's a mega church for that part of Europe. Like that's unheard of. And so God is doing some incredible things. People are, are getting saved. Uh, people have come to Christ. And so it's just, a, it was an awesome experience. It really was. And so uh, that's not necessarily my message this morning, but just kind of how God used my wife and I as missionaries over there for two years. And so, like I said, we, we really enjoyed it. Uh, it was tough. Like I said, it, it doesn't, it hadn't gone without its difficulties, but God God really has been moving in Belgium, and we're really we're continuing to pray for them over there. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Romans chapter chapter fifteen? Romans fifteen verse thirteen. And as you're opening up, I just want to f- share a quick funny story. So, when we lived in Belgium, we lived in the northern part, and they speak Dutch up there, and then the south part they speak French. And so when we, before we got the church started, we went down to a city in southern Belgium called Bestone. And Bestone is known for their World War II, the Battle of the Bulge, that took place there. So we go down early in the morning, and, you know, McDonald's is everywhere. So we go to McDonald's, and I, am, I took French in, in high school, so I was pretty confident. And up when I was up here in college, I kind of followed through with it a little bit on my own, and I thought I, I, I perfected. I was at least confident enough that I could order a sandwich. So we go into a McDonald's early in the morning, and I confidently order in my French one breakfast sandwich. I, I just said simply one number seven. First of all, you don't order like that. I didn't know that, but you don't order like that. And uh, she looks at me really funny and uh, takes my money. And I, th- I, th- I thought it was a little bit pricey for one sandwich, but I'm like, whatever. You know, I'm not going to argue in French. Uh, so five minutes goes by. She comes back with a tray of seven hamburgers. Now, they don't have hamburgers, at least in Belgium at the time, for breakfast. And my, my friend turns to me, and he's laughing. He's like, no way, they have hamburgers for breakfast. I'm like, no, they don't. They don't. Clearly, there was a miscommunication. So I go back to the waitress, and I say, I, you know, I'm sorry. I think I broke out French, the Dutch, German. I pulled out all the, the stuff. Uh, Spanish, I think I threw in there. Uh, and so I order, you know, one number seven. I just said it. And she looks at me funny, turns her head the other way, takes my money, still a little bit more than what I thought, and then comes back five minutes later with a tray of seven breakfast sandwiches. So 14 sandwiches later, I have a smorgasbord of food, and clearly I don't need all that food. Uh, but or maybe I do actually. I'm pretty small. But uh, it's just it was really funny. As a missionary, you have to laugh because that happens literally on a daily basis. Every day that happens, and you just gotta laugh because. You know, you may end up, sometimes it'll cost you money like that, but it wasn't too much. But it's just funny how God can turn those situations. You just got to laugh about it. So that obviously has nothing to do with Romans, but uh, just a funny story. So Romans chapter 15, verse 13, and it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. So this morning, what I want to share with you quickly is, you know, the God of hope. 
Now, we'll be partnering with Convoy of Hope in Europe, and we're so excited, and I'll share more about that just a little bit later. But we are be, we'll be partnering with Convoy of Hope. But uh, the, since my wife and I have been back, we've been back in the States for almost two years now, raising support and whatnot. And uh, the theme, if you will, of my message is the God of hope. And my first point is God has been my hope. You see, I grew up in a Christian church. I grew up in a, a really loving, caring Christian family. We did all the right things. I was the second youngest out of six children. And we did all the right things. You know, as, as a, a good Christian family, we prayed together. We did family devotions every evening. Uh, we went to church probably six, sun, or six days out of the week. And my parents weren't even the pastors. Like, we were always in church. And I probably gave my heart to Christ every other Sunday morning because clearly that preacher was speaking directly into my soul, and he knew what I had done that week or whatever, and I had to give my heart back to Christ. So, like, I probably gave my heart to Christ a hundred times, give or take. Uh, so we were immersed in the church, and my entire world changed when I was uh, 50, I just turned 15 years old, and I find myself in, in central Pennsylvania in the woods. We're camping. Uh, are you guys familiar with Royal Rangers? Royal Rangers, for those that may not know, uh, is a camping program that's part of the Assemblies of God denomination. And so we're at this big event in central Pennsylvania. Uh, four to 500 men and boys are going to experience God this weekend. It's awesome camping time. Uh, you know, we're going to experience God, shoot guns. We're from Pennsylvania, so we shoot guns down there. Uh, but it was going to be an awesome weekend. And so long story short, um, my, I remember seeing as everybody's getting set up, I remember seeing one of my friends or one of my leaders comes running over the hill. And he's like, Max, Max. He's yelling my name and he's really adamant. He's like, Max, Max, something happened to your brother. You may be thinking, well, what, you know, I'm thinking to myself, well, what's going on? You know, I thought he was joking. And, uh, th- you know, he was very serious. He's running over the hill. And he gets to me. He's like, Max, we got to go. Your brother's been hurt. And so we climbed into my dad's truck and we started leaving the camp. And uh, we, as we're driving up the dirt road, uh, I remember seeing pockets of rangers and, and, and men praying, uh, praying. you know, a group of five over here, a group of 15 over here, not knowing that they were praying, in fact, for myself and my family. So we get out onto the main road, and off into the distance, I see all the first responders, paramedics, ambulance, fire trucks, police, and they're all s- at this bridge. And we get to the edge of this bridge, and I climb out of the truck, and my dad is standing there on the edge. And it's honestly one of the first times I had, at the time, I had ever seen my father cry before. And he turns to me and he gives me a big hug and tears are just running down his face. And he's like, Max, your brother Alex is going to be fine. And I'm thinking to myself, still, what, what's going on? So as uh, he lets go of me, I, I turn my dad's shoulder and I see my brother lying there on the steel great bridge right in the middle. And uh, what we think had happened was, you see, my brother was born with two things. One... He was born with what's called a radio club arm, where his arm came down to about his elbow and it curved in. And that was due to his birth mother's uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. And so he automatically had trouble holding on to things. And then he also was born with a form of autism. It's not diagnosed as such. It was called Asperger's at the time, but it's on the autism spectrum. And anytime he got something on his mind, he did it, and no one could stop him for whatever reason. And so what we think happened was he climbed up onto the back of this box truck, and before it was too late, the driver didn't know, and the driver left camp with my brother still on this truck. And he drives over the bridge, and my brother, we think, fell off onto the back of this bridge, or onto this bridge. So the next thing I know, we're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, so they had to rush him like 20 minutes to the closest town where they had to call in a helicopter. And it was honestly like a movie. It really was. 
the helicopter blades were spinning really slowly. It's midnight by now. People are starting to gather around the baseball diamond and, uh, you know, to see what's going on. And the, finally, the helicopter takes off, and it takes the helicopter like 12 minutes to get to Hershey Medical Center in PA. And uh, it takes us about two hours because of how remote we were out there. And so we finally get to the hospital, and they place us in the waiting room. It's my father, myself, and a family friends of ours. And my mom was on her way up from Maryland. And uh, we're waiting in the waiting room, and the next thing I know, I see the doctors walk in. And he's real quiet. And he takes his hat off. And he starts to explain to my father that they did everything that they could. And then all I remember is that he walks out. And I'm thinking to myself, but, but you're doctors. You know, this is the 21st century. Like, you have everything at your disposal. You can fix him. And that's when my friend turns to me, and he's like, Max, he didn't make it. And the next thing I know, my mom walks in. And probably, unfortunately, one of the worst memories in the world that, I'll never leave, that will never leave my mind is when my mom walks in. And my father starts to explain to her that her one son was never coming home again. I mean, she lost it, completely lost it. And so there's clearly nothing more that we could do that night. And we go home, and I remember waking up the next morning, like, thinking I had the worst dream and wondering, like, why am I here? I thought I was camping, and honestly, all felt like a dream until reality hit. It was like I hit a brick wall, that nothing would be the same ever again. I walked downstairs, everybody's crying at the table, and reality just hit like a ton of bricks. Like, all the times that I had prayed to God that my family did the right things, we, we, we did everything that we possibly could to this caring and loving God. And this is how God is treating us at this point. And I was 15 years old, and it's just none of it made sense. And I said, you know what? If this is the God that, that I've prayed to, and all those times that he, he would help us get out of situations and things like that, if this, is the, if this is what God is about, then I want nothing to do with him. And so from that moment on, I, tra- I changed everything about me from the way I dressed, the way I ate, even the people I hung out with. I changed it all. And so during this time, fi- like months after my brother's accident, I had t- my two older brothers lived outside of the house at the time. They lived in Maryland. I'd go to their house, drink and party with them on the weekends, and obviously not living the lifestyle I should have been living. And uh, fast forward to August 2004, Hurricane Katrina had just devastated the United States, and I find myself back at that same camp. And you think, well, why in the world would you go back to that camp? You know, your brother just passed away nine months ago or ten months ago. And for me, I, it was a couple of things. One is because I love camping. I love the outdoors. I love, I just love the outdoors. I finally convinced my wife she loves the outdoors now. She even wants to cl- climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Like, she's crazy. Uh, so she's convinced now. But uh, I just, it was part of me. It was who I was. You know, that I didn't really want to change. Uh, and two, because I, I was living like a double life, if you will. I said I was Christian, quote unquote, but I didn't practice it. I didn't mean it. So I find myself back at that camp, and my dad, he was a, a local, le- he owned his own business, owned his own electrical contracting company, employed like seven people. For months prior to this event, my dad had been working on this two-ton generator that would help supply electricity to the entire camp. So we're off at this camp, and like I said, another big event going on, and he's off into the woods with a bunch of other men unloading this generator, and we're, I'm off bottom of the hill setting up camp, and the next thing I know, I see my friend running over the hill, and he's running real fast, yelling my name. He's like, Max, Max, something happened to you, your father. And I'm thinking to myself, you, this can't be happening. I remember running to where I'd last seen him, and I could only get about halfway, and I remember 
uh, falling to my knees and punching the ground so hard. And I screamed out to God and I said, God, what are you doing to me? What had happened was as they were unloading this, this generator, it had gotten away from everybody. And my dad happened to be right behind it. And it rolled off and pinned my dad between a tree. Crushed his entire body. Broke every single rib, multiple spots in each rib. Punctured his lungs, his major organs, his spleen, everything. Just crushed him. Same thing happened. They flew him to the exact same hospital where we waited in the exact same waiting room. By this time, we're all there at the hospital. And the doctors walked in. And they all take their hats off. And they start to explain to my mother. They said, look, prepare tonight because he's, he's not going to make it. It's medically impossible. And so we go home that night, and although I wasn't serving the Lord at the time, uh, my mom, such a strong Christian, she called everybody that she could. She didn't even care if they were Christian or not. She said, you know what? The doctors say that there's, there is no chance at hope whatsoever, but what we can do is pray. And that's what she did that night. She called everybody that she could. She said, we got to pray. And I remember waking up the next morning, and you see, I had, I had read about miracles in the Bible. I had seen about miracles on TV. Miracles, to me at the time, were like a, a far-off exotic vacation that I'd never experienced for myself. And that's when the doctors called that morning, and they said, they start to explain to my mother, and they said, I don't know who or what you believe in, but he pulled through. It was miraculous pulling through that night. And although it was a long road to recovery for my father, my father was in the intensive care unit for uh, 68 days. Anytime you're in the ICU for one day is long enough. And uh, during this time, as if those two things weren't enough, my brother's accident, my father, he still wasn't out of the woods, uh, we had found out that my dad's electrical contracting company, a small business, we had found out that the secretary had been embezzling thousands and thousands of dollars from the company and neglected to pay the IRS. We got a phone call saying, it's all gone. It's all going to go away. The cars, the business, the home. I mean, my world was falling. Our world was falling apart around us piece by piece. And it felt like God was just standing up there laughing at us. It made no sense. And I remember I came home one night and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. Not only all those three things. I came home as a 15-year-old boy. You know, all I cared about was being loved. Like, why didn't anybody care about me? You see, I was born with physical handicaps. Uh, I only have eight fingers. And I, I don't have any toes either. And I thought that night, I said, God, you made a mistake on top of all of this. So I want nothing to do with you. In fact, I'm done. I went home that night, and uh, no one was home. And I remember grabbing a bottle of pills, and I thinking to myself, well, if this doesn't work, I went and I grabbed my dad's handgun. And I went to my room, and for some reason, I ended up falling asleep, not having done any of this. And I would love to give you this story of how God appeared to me in this dream or this vision, and it, it didn't work like that. It was honestly his still, small voice speaking into my heart that very night, saying, how dare you destroy something I created? He's like, you see, I gave you a second chance. And what I mean by that is, you see, I was born in the former Soviet Union, Days after I was born, my parents abandoned me in the hospital. I was malnourished. They hadn't taken care of me. At the time, in the Soviet Union, the hospitals were a mere convenience to have a child. They didn't do anything for the child. It was just, hey, we got a place for you. Uh, and so they walked out on me, and I was placed in the Soviet orphanage system. I uh, wasn't even given a name, just a number. So, uh, orphanage number nine on the outskirts of Moscow, Russia. And it was such a specific orphanage that at a certain age, children that were born with physical handicaps... At a certain age, like six or seven, we were to be sent out to Siberia to be forgotten about because at the time the Soviet Union was all about perfection and anything short of that was a mistake. And that's what my life should have been. But God, 
I was adopted in 1992, just after the fall of the Soviet Union. I was number 17, actually, one of the very first children ever adopted out of there into the United States. Uh, Ted Kennedy even signed my adoption papers. And so I had to make a decision that night and say, God, wow, you really did care for me so much. And I've had people come to me and say, well, you know, God could have picked anybody in the world. And you know what? I can't carry that guilt. I can't explain that. There are many things that I cannot explain. But what I know, and at that moment in my life, I knew why I was placed on this earth. And I knew that I could honor God by making my life count. However he could use me. I didn't even care. I know I say that's dangerous to say, God, hey, use me however. Send me wherever. You know, I don't like hot weather. I actually hate hot weather. Uh, and God sent me to Africa a couple times. Uh, funny enough, it snowed the one time I was in Africa. That was awesome. I love this. I'm Russian. I love the snow. I like, I seriously, I love this cold weather. Call me crazy. That's fine. Uh, but I love the cold weather. Um, all that to say, I, I made a decision that night and gave my heart back to Christ. And I knew, like I said, why I was, uh, I was placed in this, on this earth. And so fast forward, I ended up giving my heart back, uh, graduating high school, coming up here to Bible college, marrying the wife of my dreams. Uh, she wasn't, I wasn't exactly in her dreams at the time, but she came around. So uh, probably he, James remembers that. So, um, so we graduated, moved down to West Virginia, where we were youth pastors for two years. And then God called us out onto the mission field. And as I explained earlier, God called us to a very unique part of Europe that I had never, was never even on my radar. I never thought we'd go to Belgium, but God put, like God broke our hearts for the people of Europe and continued to break our hearts. And so um, my first point was that not only is God my hope, and then my second point is not only is my hope, but God is also your hope. There are many of us sitting here this morning had it not been for God. There are many of us that should be somewhere else but God. And there may be some of us that are sitting here this morning wondering, man, I've hit that brick wall. God, the doctors have said this thing, and it doesn't make sense, sense, and there's no hope. Or the bank account says one thing, and it doesn't make sense. Other people have said these things about me, and it's not fair. We can continue to give God a list after list, and I'm not here to compare stories. This is one thing I never asked for, but I've been able to use, and I'm, I'm honored and I'm proud to, that God has created this, this individual, this person, such as myself. And just like many of us sitting here this morning, maybe you're wondering, God, but God, why or how or all these questions, I, I want to implore to you that may the God of hope, God is your hope, Some of us are lacking that joy and lacking that peace, and it goes back to that verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. America, as we know it, is is facing a crisis in terms of, there's so many things, but I think hope is one of the big ones too. You know, you walk down the streets of Haverhill. I've, I've been there, I've seen it. And people are lacking that hope. And maybe, like I said, some of us are lacking that hope here this morning. And I'm not going to sit here or stand here this morning and tell you, man, if you accept Christ or if you continue to follow after Christ, it's going to be the, the best walk in the park that you'd ever have. That's not how it works. The reality is that we are human. We will suffer things and we will go through stuff that we don't want to go through, but we don't have to go through it alone. I can't tell you how many times I suffered with anxiety. It's like crippling anxiety, and you don't even want to wake up. You don't want to get out of bed. You don't want to do anything, and you don't even know how to pray to God. You've gotten that desperate. You're like, God, I don't even know how to pray to you anymore. Let the God of hope restore your joy and restore your peace. 
You do not have to walk it alone. I am. I would be more than happy to pray with you after service. And I know that there are people here in this room that would be more than happy to walk with you in your time of struggle or your situation. You do not have to go at it alone. And that's that's the sad thing about America now, and uh, that so many people are walking through tough situations. But God, let God restore your hope. Let God restore those dreams that He gave you years ago. It's possible. I promise you it is possible. I, like I said, I'm not going to promise you it's going to be a walk in the park, but let God restore your hope. It's like a breath of fresh air that needs to be renewed in your heart and in your lungs and your soul. And my last point is, not only is God my hope, not only is God your hope, but God is also their hope. And what I mean by that is, you see, God has called my wife and I back to Europe, back to a continent that thrived on Christianity I mean, they, they, our founding fathers, if you will, of theological thought and thinking came from Europe, and our, our apartment overlooked much of the city, and there are cathedrals after cathedrals, and people don't even know what those cathedrals are. It's just architectural beauties now, and that's it. They have a day, a, a holiday called Pentecost Monday, and they don't even know what that means. My generation over in Europe has no clue. They're so far removed from Christianity that they know nothing about it anymore. Nothing. Just that it's historical stuff. That's it. And so God has called my wife back over to, uh, to Europe. We'll be based in southern Spain, and we'll be working with Convoy of Hope throughout the entire continent. We'll be working with the refugee crisis that's taken place, uh, ministering to them, just providing them basic human needs like toothbrushes, shoes, sleeping bags, sometimes tents, things like that. So many refugees, and I, I could go on about this, so many refugees have flooded into Europe. And at the start of it, Europe was extremely accepting, but all of a sudden, door after door just kept closing, cities after cities saying, we don't want this anymore. We don't have the money. We don't, we don't even care about you. None of that. And so now they're on the streets, and we have an ob obligation, as I see it. What an opportunity we have now, because some of these individuals, these refugees, that are, they're coming from countries where we as missionaries would never be allowed to step foot in some of their home countries, like Syria, Turkey, because of all kinds of stuff. But now they've flooded into Europe, and what an opportunity we have just to pr provide them with the simple compassion and, yet, and, and obviously the love and hope of Christ. And not only that, we'll be doing outreach programs throughout the entire continent as well. We'll be going into inner cities throughout the entirety of Europe saying, hey, let's connect with these churches and do these Day of Hopes where we, we, we provide f uh, food, uh, clothing, shoes, basic ne uh, necessities, haircuts, things like that, dental work. And then also we kind of have to do it a little differently in, in Europe. See, here in the United States, when we do Day of Hopes with Convoy of Hope, we have at the very end a prayer tent. We found out that that doesn't work in Europe. It's not that we're not praying for them. It's just we have to do it in a different way. So what we have to do in Europe is, Europe is very known for their coffee. Personally, I like Dunkin's, all right? When we were over in, over in Europe, I, I, I asked, they said, hey, what do you want when you're over there? I'm like, just send me some Dunkin's. There's no Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, anyways, uh, but the thing that they love is coffee. And so we'd have coffee tents, and they'd walk through, and then that's where we'd have an opportunity to say, hey, how can we pray for you? And it, it worked. And not only that, we'll be working with the gypsy community, the Roma gypsy population in Eastern Europe. They're one of the lowest class individuals in all of Europe. Uh, I have stories after stories of how just sadly they're treated. And so providing them with basic human necessities like clothing and toothbrushes and stuff like that. And so we have another a uh, bunch of other programs that Convoy of Hope is going to be starting in the future. And so we are excited to be a part of that. Uh, as I close here this morning... Um, First of all, thank you guys again for having myself come. I have a table over there if you'd like.
I have a big, I like the fact that you guys have like three maps in here. That's awesome. Like I, my grandparents had a map in their, in their uh, living room when I was younger. I love looking at it. And so I love seeing that, but um, we have a map over there. We can, I can show you a little bit about where I'm going to be. I also have prayer cards though. Not only obviously pray for my wife and I, but pray that God would open doors and soften hearts in Europe. Because like I said, it, it is extremely hard, but it's not impossible. Through God, we can reach so many people over there. And it's because of your prayers that matter the most over there. Uh, and a few other things. My dad 100% recovered from his accident. He did his last doctor's visit years ago. And he came in and the doctor's like, when you were th- flown in here that night, I wouldn't have given 10 cents for you. That's how badly damaged you were and you were not supposed to make it. My dad had an awesome opportunity to say, look, I know you guys couldn't do much, but I have a God that did, and it was, it was incredible. And uh, lastly, our goal is to be fully funded by the end of the year. So pray for my wife and I as we continue to travel all over the country, even up until the time we leave, that our funds would be raised. And then also uh, we're hoping to leave by March of next year. So pray that that all goes smoothly. If you have any questions, I'd love to share. Don't ask me anything in French because I just I, I don't understand it clearly. So I need to work on it again. But anyways, guys, thank you so much. Thank you, Pastor. God bless you.